This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Hi there, this is Stuart from the Thrive Today Network. Welcome to Perspectives Episode 48. It's great to have you with us and we've got a great episode, in fact, a series of episodes coming up where we intend to explore key aspects of our Christian worldview. Now we may not be aware of it, but our worldview informs all our thoughts and actions in life even if we don't consciously recognize that. So this is an important conversation for us to have. Matt and I are joined by our good friend and critical thinker, Connell, for what we hope will be an engaging conversation as we begin our series, Exploring the Christian Perspective on Life and the World. Well, Matt, uh, it's great to be back in the studio again, recording an episode for our Perspective series. And uh, we've got a guest with us today. We have. Yeah. Welcome, yeah. Connell. Welcome, Connell. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Discussions always go better with three people, I think, uh, Stu. So we just thought, Connell, that you were just the right sort of person. <laughs> you got the right mix of intelligence and curiosity and, and, and you're just the sort of person to say, Matt, what are you on about here? Yeah, exactly right. uh, so. yeah. <laughs> I'm way too polite, Liz. I know Connell's not going to be. So that's, that's great. We'll get some good questions going here. So Matt, uh, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to explore some aspects of the Christian worldview. Big picture is uh, is really important, and and particularly the frameworks, I guess, within which we think about life and the world, and uh, and and the, the enormous difference that those that those frameworks make. Actually, it's one of the most important things that we need to think critically about. And I guess, if anything, this discussion uh, hopefully will be a little bit of an exercise in in critical thinking and big picture thinking and, and a good example of how your framework mm. actually makes a difference. Now, I'm going to explain, if, if you're listening and you're thinking, what on earth does that even mean? Yep. We'll, we'll explain Explain that in a moment. And let, me just say, go. and let me just say buckle in because if the pre-podcast conversation is anything to go by, <laughs> this, this series will probably last another three or four years, but uh, it's going to be great and uh, it's yeah. excellent, Matt. So, yep, go with us on yeah. this. And, uh, you know. Yeah. So I, I came across a really useful, uh, a really useful diagram um, or a way of thinking about frameworks. Actually, it was – it's I, uh, you know, I, I read uh, fairly fairly widely and uh, – um, actually read a lot of stuff from outside of, uh, you know, of, of the Christian movement. You know, I, I, I love finding truth um, in uh, sort of in that outside space, you know, uh, and uh, particularly, you know, in, in that sort of multi, when, when the various disciplines kind of confirm aspects uh, of, of what we believe as Christians, uh, because I expect that. I expect that uh, you know, good. Uh, you know, good research will will come upon the truth. And um, and I was reading um, a, a book by Jonathan Haidt called The Happiness Hypothesis. Uh, so it's a it's a book in uh, positive psychology. And and he's a Jonathan Haidt, which is H A I D T, is a very uh, prominent social psychologist. Um, mm. Now I, I should just say. When I if, when I cite different books and so I'm yeah. not necessarily recommending endorsing, or endorsing no. the views or, or, in those yeah, books, but exactly. that's I guess that is you know what I was really just saying is mm-hmm. I draw a lot from a lot of different sort of literature. I don't necessarily endorse their views or uh, and and often in fact they're not um, uh, you know they're, they're not Christians. Often they're even mm-hmm. atheists and but you know uh, but yet I find um, I've, I've illustrated it's a little bit like. You know, looking, going out to outer space, and 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 sitting on the moon and looking at the Earth, you mm. really appreciate. Oh, gee, it's really beautiful. Mm. You know, uh, but but we don't want to live out there. No. You know what I mean? It's uh, and also we've got to be able to engage with our world. So knowing what other yeah. people are thinking, yeah. and what they're believing, yeah, what's informing right. them is important. You yeah, know, so. and so and that's important. And also because uh, the, because I uh, teach as a lecturer in philosophy, so I need to be across. Mm. Uh, some of these things. So, um, this book uh, by by Jonathan uh, Haidt, it, it, towards the end, uh, you know, he points out he's done a lot of uh, research, actually research into the uh, emotion of disgust, uh, which is really interesting to, to do research into that. But as part of his research into that, he he found a connection. Uh, 
between that emotion and another sort of dimension of experience that he um, he talks about in terms of and, and he finds this in a lot of other cultures how how that emotion is connected with a sense of defilement or, or impurity or um, and and he found he found himself um, realizing that there's this whole other element of of human experience. Uh, you know, and, and that that research was really just the entry point into you know into this into this discovery for him. That there's this whole other dimension that we in our culture don't really recognise. Mm. Um, and the way that he that he illustrates this this other dimension, and I'm and and actually what I'm going to do is and, and and you'll have to if you're listening to this you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit now while I while I picture this or a piece of paper and a pen even yeah or a picture yeah that's right that that could be that could be useful and we'll pull this apart in a moment let mm. me picture it mm. so this is a simplified version of a of a um a diagram that he that he uses if we imagine um i guess in in our culture we tend to recognize only one dimension of uh, of, of, of human, experience. human experience, and we can picture that as a line, a horizontal line between, basically, between pleasure and pain. You know, imagine uh, pain on the left, you know, and 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 a line, and then uh, you've got, um, you know, pleasure on uh, on the right. You know, and, sorry, at, at each extreme. So just yeah, to at help each the extreme, listeners, yeah. you know, at the far end of the left hand side is pain. At the far end of the right hand side is, is yeah, yeah. Pleasure. And you've got this line, and right, we're all trying to move along that line. You know, yep. it's like, yep. uh, you know, my life at the moment is pleasurable, and and you could put other things at the end. It's 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 a it's a fairly pragmatic space. Mm. It's could be power. It, yeah, instance, it's it's what pleasure. that's right. Mm. It's what a lot of psychologists talk about, just in terms of human well being. Yep. You know, it's yep. the well being line. It's you know, good and bad, useful, useless, pleasure, pain. It's you know, mm. it's um, it's that one element, and 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 we tend to plot in in our culture. Everything is plot on that on that line. So what's good is good for me, you know, um, and uh, and our values tend to be plotted on that line. So if something's wrong, it's wrong because well, it's going to hurt someone else, and you know, and. And if it doesn't hurt anyone, then then it can't be bad, right? That's you know on on that single line. What what Jonathan Haidt um, though wants us to recognise is that there is this other dimension, actually, to human experience, and and so we could illustrate this by pl- by placing uh, a vertical line to create essentially a cross right through mm. a vertical line right through that horizontal line, uh, and uh, at the bottom you've got interestingly a lot of. Um, a lot of elements of human experience that we work very hard just to avoid, avoid and get rid of, you know, and, and in the wrong way. And I'll talk to that in a moment. But, you know, experiences like shame, sense of defilement, uh, th- th- this is um, this is where sort of the sense of guilt maybe sits, uh, sense of impurity. Uh, and again, y- y- you can already sense how countercultural those very ideas uh, even are. And so you've got that's at the bottom end of that vertical axis and and it goes right up and right at the top of that you've got an experience of uh of the sublime the sacred um the majestic that these these elevated uh, you know elements of human experience and and so you've got this whole other dimension to human experience that we're not we're, we're um you know we're we're kind of conditioned in a way to block that out or, or, or certainly not taught to recognize anything on that vertical axis. And the reason, uh, the, really the reason why, uh, I mean, his, historically, and this probably goes back to about the time of Freud, this is how Sigmund Freud, the famous sort of, you know, father of psychology, uh, in his infinite wisdom dealt with this situation. Because we didn't like, you know, he, he was faced with people, particularly in a late Victorian era, who were struggling uh, with um, this experiences of shame and guilt and sense of you know defilement and and so the way that he d- dealt with that is just we'll just get rid of the whole vertical axis we'll just obliterate that whole oh and that's not really grounded in anything valid you know right, what I mean right. it's just an illusion uh, you've just got to realize that and when you realize that it's all that's all just been put on you by society you know because of course Sigmund Freud was a hardcore atheist mm. um, doesn't really give uh, he, he never gives you know any compelling reasons for that that's just his presupposition 
Um, so he just says, well, society has put that guilt on, and, and that shame. And this is very mm. topical mm. because people still think that, that shame, mm. if people feel any sense of moral shame, well, society has put that mm. on us. And, and so as a society, we need to agree not to do that anymore. And, and yes, in, uh, you know, the way that in the, you know, Victorian and Edwardian eras, you know, sort of, you know, uh, 19th century, early 20th century, there was lots of shame. It was a culture of shame and, mm. you know, a um, lot of social pressure to, you know, and, and, and if you, you know, if you cross the line, you'd be ostracized. Yes, absolutely. All of that's completely terrible. Um, so a bit like Matt, just to help us understand yeah. here. So a bit like you can't have cold if there isn't hot. Yeah. So if we eliminate hot, yeah. there isn't cold. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um so what he was really saying was the, the the concept of sacred and and and, and glorious um, and, and wonder and all those sorts of things. If we eliminate that, then we also eliminate the opposite of that, which is the yeah. shame and the disgust. And yeah. The, so it's desensitized. I mean, yeah. um, Brene Brown did a, did yes. a thing recently, uh, a very famous TED talk, you yes. know, where she talks about desensitizing ourselves to um, experiences of sadness. Yeah. Uh, well, she's she's actually talking more about sadness mm. and pain. You know, mm. we we try to, uh, you know, we, we use all sorts of different ways to actually essentially anesthetize ourselves, you know. From, but she says if we if you desensitize yourselves to pain, you actually desensitize ourselves to joy, joy. as well. And so you end up just, uh, just desensitized, you know. And so essentially um, what has happened from that time on is that, those particular uh, at the bottom end of the vertical um, axis, they're very spiritual. That's a very spiritual. Uh, those are very spiritual things. You know, ex- experiences of guilt and shame and and impurity, and and it requires a sort of transcendent dimension to give any validity to that. Because if if the, if we're just biological machines, and you know, then then, then well, no, no, we decide, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and and. and you know, our culture is very single-axis society. Mm. Um, you know, I decide what's right for me, and we're all into. There's no, there's no transcendent um, sort of ideal or anything, um, and so we just need to agree amongst ourselves and tolerate uh, each mm. other. And uh, and and so so we've lost that the vertical. It doesn't quite make sense the the vertical line really but what essentially what we've also done by desensitizing ourselves to those experiences of shame and guilt and whatever we've also lost a sensitivity to the sublime and the glorious and not not you know we still there's still a longing for it and we go after that in lots of different interesting and this itself is very freudian like in in sort of disguised ways uh we, we seek whether it's through sport or through a you know looking for glory in all the wrong places you know because we're built we're built for an experience of elevation yeah, well what jonathan Haidt says is that we are actually wired for an experience that he refers to as something like divinity, you know, there, there is human beings are, are, and and it's interesting because he says whether or not God exists. Now he, he's an atheist. Uh, he's a, actually interestingly he's a Jewish uh, atheist, um, and this is where I think his his thinking is uh, is inconsistent because he talks about we have we're wired as human beings for this uh, for this experience of divinity essentially. Mm. Um, a, a, a longing for the sacred and the sublime, and you know, uh, you know, and he says then whether or not God exists. Well, that's where I think he's is inconsistent. But but I but this is where I take his. You know, this is incredibly you know incredibly important point that he makes because we are we are we are wired for this and we're wired to need this. So, is this actually the language that Jonathan Haidt uses? Because it seems like <clears throat> inconceivable that an atheist would use those sorts of words because it's like, yeah, I don't even know how you'd start to reconcile that. But it does actually, if that's the way he's he's talking about it and projecting it, it actually adds a whole lot more weight yeah, it does. Yeah. Actually, being a valid framework or a, yeah. a valid model to actually yeah. look at how to how to see our world in those multiple axes. What what mm. what is the words that Jonathan hate? Is it does he use yeah, words he, like divine? Yeah, or he does. Even sacred. Yeah. I would have. Thought. Yeah, yeah, he does. He talks about that 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 we're wired for, and and he he says at one point what what I would perhaps call divinity, and that, that's when he quickly says, "Oh, whether or not God God exists," and it's like, what? No, what, mm. what do you mean? Mm. Uh, you know, um, and and he, 
and actually, it's interesting because he offered. This is the. I've been studying the Bible for, you know, decades, and 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 he he has he offered one of the best explanations for all of the purity laws in the Old Testament that I've ever read. Like, you know, he says this is why. Because um, he, he then, it, his research led him to go to, you know, other culture outside the Western culture. Because actually, that one dimension, you know, single axis way of living is actually uh, really just kind of European culture, mm. post-Enlightenment European thing. But every other culture acknowledges this other dimension. And 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 he, he refers to, you know, n- not only... Um, the the Old Testament Jewish purity laws, but you know other cultures that have these purity laws. And he said, you, you, in order to understand this, you have to understand this 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 other dimension to human experience, mm. uh, because uh, you know it's what they what they're doing is they're they're, they're recognizing this vertical. Uh, I mean, he, again, he's using a slightly more complex framework, but. But they're—it's like they're sensitizing themselves, deliberately sensitizing themselves, by sensitizing th- themselves to what is impure. They're sensitizing themselves to what is sublime and sacred, as well. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and so you know, for example, the Old Testament purity laws, you know, explicitly, in fact, uh, you know, God says through Moses, "I want my people to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, the pure and the impure. They need to learn this. So I'm going to embed it in every aspect of their lives. I'm going to embed it. Mm-hmm. And so he, interestingly, he offer he offers this explanation. I'm thinking, ah, oh, that's really good. Thanks, Mister. You know, so you can almost see the struggle. Yeah, but he's, I suppose he's got this Jewish background as well, which probably uh, which yeah. probably helps. Uh, but helps he's backing himself into a corner. And then he's, I think so. he's, he's struggling to get himself yeah. back out of it. He yeah. doesn't want to go to where... Yeah, I think so. Particularly because his brand of atheism now actually is becoming more and more rare, really. That, you know, I mean, it's more likely now for people to be agnostics, but that, um, but there, there is... And, and I should say, you know, that single axis is based on there being no other dimension to, hu- to human life. You know, yeah. it's just me. It's just us. You know, we make our own meaning. There's no transcendent meaning to life on this horizontal, you know, if you uh, accept that. Um, you know, there's no ideal for what humanity is, no purpose for humanity. So, so I decide who I am and what I'm going to do. And, yeah. and, 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 that, and an ethics on a single axis says I should never deny what, you know, human autonomy then becomes – in the this sacred. sense, sacred, really, doesn't exactly. it? It becomes yeah. a new human autonomy. So, you know, so you get to decide who you are and what, you know, and your purpose. And, and, and I should never, ever contradict that. That's your sacred right, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on a, but, you know, but once you add the, uh, the, the, this other dimension, then no, of course we don't have, that's, of mm. course we don't have the right to do that. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. I know one of the first things when you, when I first heard you talking about this, mm. It seemed like it was actually a really good framework or model to explain a whole lot of things about how we think. Yeah. Everybody thinks, whether yeah. you like it or not, whether you believe there is a, that second vertical dimension, it, yeah. it's going to have an impact yeah. on you, whether you like it or not. You're going to be trying to get away from the yeah. um, the obvious fact that there's a yeah. sacredness in, in, yeah. in life mm. and there is a profane aspect of yeah. it because you know that's of, often the, the the struggle that atheists have yeah. is explaining all of those yeah. how do those even make sense in a purely naturalistic worldview mm. but i think also when you think about those two dimensions you can't escape that second vertical projecting itself onto that single axis so True. as much yeah, as yeah. you try to live on that single axis uh axis um you're going to have to confront th- those those ideas. I, I think they're because they're, they're irrepressible. They're bursting out of us. They're yeah, irrepressible. Yeah, yeah. But I think by the time, if you only stand on the single axis and try to view them from the single axis, they become like corrupted versions yeah, of what that's right. what it yeah. actually is. Mm. So you know, yeah, it's a great it, call. Inevitably, like when you showed that vertical axis, and you you showed that. There was the the sacred at the top and the profane at the bottom. I thought I knew what the word sacred actually meant. Mm. 
Um, and when you put it on that axis and showed it as another dimension, I'm yeah. looking at it and go, but what, what then, what is sacred then? Yeah. If, because I haven't really thought about that vertical axis yeah. in yeah. the way that you framed it. Yeah. I would look at it as a single axis. I almost call most people probably were single access dwellers. Yeah. yeah. In the sense that we live on the single access. Yeah. Uh, and so when we look at the sacred, we kind of see it as, well, what is sacred? Maybe it's a church. It's something that we've built. Yeah. My and footy team. We've, yeah. Well, we've set aside, even if, yeah. I actually had a look on, I had a look in the dictionary to say, well, what does, what does a, uh, what does the dictionary say? About the sacred. What is sacred. Yeah. And it basically says it's something that's set apart mm. with a spiritual, you know, mm. it's for, you know, it's, it's yeah. For um, you know, worship or or revering something yeah. of this, and and so you kind of look at that and go, but that's not the sacred that's on the top of that second mm. axis, because that's almost like that's something that we set apart. Yeah, we're on the second yeah. <clears throat> on that vertical. Um, the sacred that's there is actually God set it apart. Yeah, we had no say in it what was yeah, sacred yeah. or not. Yeah, and so because. God set it apart from the single access, it might actually look ridiculous. Yeah. It might look pedantic. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like it, may, it means that we're always trying to go, it's almost like on that single access, you know, God gave us autonomy mm. in the world. Yeah. We kind of get to call the shots yeah. a, a fair yeah. bit, don't we, by living here in the world. Yeah. And it's almost like in that single access, God lets us. Mm. call the shots like yeah. we get to make those decisions we yeah. get to pursue pleasure um and and so on and we bear out the consequences of the decisions that we make in that vertical access we have no say whatsoever because it's yeah. it's like that's god's god declares what's sacred and as a result what's profane and when we enter that axis it's almost like we're kind of giving up almost our autonomy and going i have to ex- god's declared it as not maybe not so much giving up our autonomy, but our ability to call the shots. So we don't get to say that's reasonable or unreasonable yeah. or that's fair or unfair. So like in Leviticus, you know, weaving two threads mm, mm. into your garment, you would look at that and go, that is ridiculous. But you don't get to make that call mm. because God declared that as sacred. Yeah. Mm. And uh, another example is the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with the, was it uh, Uz? Uzzah. Yeah, you yeah. use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. The, you know, he touched the ark and, and he died. Yeah, yeah. And the ark fell off. Yeah. Incomprehensible it, to people. It's like, what? That's terrible. That God's nasty. mean. Yeah. yeah. You reached out and grabbed, yeah. he grabbed it. Yeah. Because it was absolutely sacred. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to touch it. And as a result of that, he died. I look mm. at that and go, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. Because, because the sacred comes with boundaries. Mm. Uh, you know, if something is sacred, then, then it can only be used in a certain way yeah. for, for sacred sacred purposes. And, can, I, yeah. can I just suggest, though, and I, I totally get what you're saying and totally agree with you, but I think what we do to eliminate the God accountability is we decide to make our own sacred. Yeah. And we decide yeah. what's sacred and we decide what's profane. Uh, and, and that's why we have these all these different levels of, you know, within. Yeah. And that's a definition you see in, in, yep. in the dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the sacred it's is the human centered. We definition. decide. Mm. Yeah. We, we build a church or we have icons and we yeah. declare them to be sacred. Yeah. And then, and, and I think even as Christians, then we would, we come to that and we create our sacred spaces. It's almost like a kind of a way of, of us staying on the single axis, even yeah. as a Christian, and not venturing into yeah, that true. vertical yeah. axis, so that we yeah. actually go to these places yeah. and treat that as and sacred. Our, yeah, and appease our kind of need. Yeah, for it. and we're not. I'm not sort of downplaying the importance of that because I think those things can be important, but I think I think only in the sense that they kind of point us to where or lead us to a place where we're ready to step into mm. the real sacred. Yeah, which is stepping into the, yeah. the, the the sacred that God's declared as sacred. Mm. And equally, what God has declared to be uh, profane mm. by virtue of it, you know, pro- yeah. de- de- uh, defiling what is, what's sacred. What is sacred. Mm. And again, it's not necessarily what we as sort of single access dwellers <laughs> generally think is, is right or fair or reasonable because we've only got such a small, corrupted, tiny... Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting to note how words change their meaning. Mm. Actually, even words change their meaning depending on your framework. Mm. Uh, uh, so take the word love. This is a classic example. On a single axis, and, and I should say when we when I, if axis is is not you know is like axis yes. you know we're, we're talking about the an lines axi. when we're talking about yeah. you know um, an, an axis. So imagine a graph again. Yeah. This is going to be important, listeners, just to jot down because we're going to probably over the next I don't know three hundred episodes we're going to refer to this <laughs> axis. And so it's not all to, going to be about this, and we'll no, use no, different no. ways yeah, of illustrating yeah. this. But it's good to understand. There's a vertical and a horizontal, and they cross, and yeah. and that's and, what we're yeah. talking about when we talk about the axis. Yeah. And the horizontal axis is is valid in that yes, pleasure yes. and pleasure and pain are real aspects of life, and and mm. we'll talk, you know, we, we will get to talking about, uh, I guess, some of those experiences, and and mm. uh, because you know God can pain can actually be a sanctifying thing, mm. as can pleasure actually mm. both of those, uh, but only if you add that uh, yeah. that vertical axis. So you were talking about the word, yeah, meaning the, the of the meaning word of words. Yeah. So on a on a single horizontal axis, the word love, and this is borne out by by one of the more common um, ph- philosophical definitions of the word love. To love something is to attribute value to a thing. Um, now there's a problem with that definition because I'm the one that attributes the value. It's, it's exactly what you were saying, Connell, about you know, we, well, we say what's sacred. It's mm. it, we take on the single axis. We take the prerogative to decide what's sacred is what's sacred to me. Well, the word love is really is defined by what I personally value. So, I to to love something is to I attribute the value uh, to that thing. Now. Um, the, the, that that this is a, a completely um, insufficient you know, definition of love. I think should be should be uh, very obvious to anyone who's ever, for example, loved their child. Mm. Well, they're only sacred because they're sacred to me. No, there's something inherently sacred. So on a that's on a single axis, it, it's love is to is I attribute value to. But on a double axis, where you've got this transcendent. Transcendent dimension, where there are some things that are inherently sacred because God, because uh, because of the value that God uh, that they have inherently as being created by God for a certain purpose. So to love then on a double axis means essentially the recognition of infinite sacred value. This means that love is not just reduced to desire on a single axis. I attribute value for this, you know, because I I desire that thing. And, you know, I mean, there's quite awful sort of definitions and, and reductionist views of, of, you know, of love and, uh, you know, even love for our children. Oh, it's because of, uh, you know, natural selection. Evolution. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we're, we're wanting to preserve our, our genetic, pool. you know, our gene pool. And, I've had conversations with atheists before where they talk about, one of the kind of things to make them feel uncomfortable about their worldview is is that example of of love and go you go home to your children yeah. at night and you love your children you know more than anything else in the world yeah. and yet that love is nothing it's actually nothing it's yeah. just purely evolution it's just yeah. it's just a chemical in your brain yeah. that makes it necessary for you to do that yeah. in order to preserve and you know create the next generation yeah. and, and to ke- that's what yeah. you're reducing it's just like every, instinct some kind of yeah, evolutionary instinct yeah uh, it's it, it's quite awful and, and and actually i think intuitively we know that it's more deep down we you know mm. anyone yeah. who mm. so, so it's not just it's not just instinct or desire um and and there's no doubt that there's that that element because we're not denying we're not de- we're not denying the horizontal axis here. No. So there there is. I desire my, my uh, you know my children and and I desire to be with them and and so there's that desire element. But it's more than that. My love actually is a kind of knowledge of something transcendent. Yeah. It's it's the recognition of a transcendent element in 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 the other person. So which is why, of course, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is is has this sense of recognize who you it's recognize the sacredness of your humanity the inherent dignity of being created by god as a child of god with a specific purpose right now if something's sacred again 
it's it can't be used in any other way. There are suddenly there is responsibilities that that come with that, and that's the bit we don't like. Mm. Uh, sacredness doesn't go with an anything goes approach to anything. Um, but uh, you know, we it's 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 this as we love. We, it's we have it's a kind of way of knowing. You know, mm. it's like. Uh, I as I as I love I, I recognize this sacred element. Now you need the double axis to even to even go there because it it requires that other transcendent dim- dimension. Well, it does because it's like the when you pre- when you present it, I actually see some of the conversations I've had with atheists. I actually start getting a little angry at even because it's it, at that example I would use about going yeah. home to your children, and now yeah. that if you don't if you want to ignore that kind of transcendent reality yeah. that love is not just something that drives you forward to re- yeah. reproduce and it's just a chemical in your brain that your children are actually mm. not worth anything. Yeah. They are nothing. Yeah. They only mean something when there is that mm. more transcendent reality there, which they want to deny. Yeah. They have to come face to face with that. And they can't because built into them is a the sense that, that life is sacred, that children are yeah. sacred, that the love for their children is actually real. Like, mm. it is actually a real thing. It's not just a biological process in your body. Yeah. You actually love them. Yeah. You actually really do, irrespective of what your brain... And yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And they're worth loving yeah. as well. And they cannot escape that reality. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, the, the concept of the sacred is very much connected with, the, with this sense of this particular meaning. There is a particular meaning and purpose. And, of course, if you get rid of any transcendent element, you lose that that any aspect mm. of meaning um uh so even the the word meaning has a different meaning, meaning. Uh, we don't want to get too esoteric <laughs> here but on you know on, on a double axis now it's interesting uh because this word gets thrown gets thrown around you don't want to live a meaningful life and and people talk about that on that flat mm. you know horizontal axis and now will we provide our own meaning and you know it's interesting the the um so, there's a South African philosopher, David Benatar, who um, uh, who has argued he's an atheist, but he's argued you cannot, if you know, there there cannot be any meaning to life, any transcendent meaning uh, without without a God who, because meaning, you know, meaning requires um, some kind of designer or, or some this sense of transcendent purpose, but without that. To talk of meaning to life is is um, is actually meaningless. Well, a lot of lot of atheists <clears throat> say there is no meaning to life. Yeah, that's right, and and that's what. Well, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying there's no meaning. Now, it's interesting that the atheist um, Roos, Michael Roos, um, uh, and and his book uh, is called something a, a meaning to life, I think addresses this issue where he says no 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 we can uh you know we can have meaning and and but he he what he finds meaning in the evolutionary process that we're we're evolving and we're we're becoming better and and so we need to become be the best that we can be and that's where our meaning but there's uh, no actually, th- there's no <laughs> no real transcendent meaning beyond no, that. No, they they it, meaning is only going so far it's it's creating a meaningful existence yeah. For us in the here or now, but ultimately there is no meaning. No, that's right. Yeah, there's not. And so, so and, and I think I think David Benatar's point is, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, and and it's it's not a popular viewpoint because, but I th- it's a consistent one because mm-hmm. he's saying don't don't be talking about meaning yeah. uh, to life. And and I mean, he's he has a very pessimistic view of you know life is you know, is quite the nihilist, really. Um, but he is consistent. He's very consistent uh, yeah. because he, he says meaning actually comes from a transcendent. You have to believe that there's something transcendent. Mm-hmm. And he says there isn't. So can we all get over it? There's be, no meaning to life. It, right, let's stop looking for it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know it's, a, it's an unfortunate view. And um, uh, But that's, you know, again, that's something. It's the It's these spillovers from... This intuition that we have that there is this other dimension, and, mm-hmm. and as as Jonathan Haidt argues, we are actually wired for this. Our well, I mean, he 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 cites research that actually shows that human well being is is at least to some extent dependent on us 
uh, on, on what he refers to as experiences of elevation, uh, a need, you know, a need to, to be elevated. Now, um, uh, you know, he talks about peak experiences and, you know, experiences of beauty and the sublime and, and, and all of these things. And, uh, and that's, I think, where, where it all gets a bit wishy-washy mm. uh, in, in, in his work, because cause ultimately, uh, you know, it's, it's, really the, it's really being unlocked from those bottom-end experiences of shame and guilt and impurity. You know, th- they are real. And it's like, in a sense, he's wanting to say they're – because he does want to say they're real, because he, he wants to say we do experience these things. But what does he think they are? Are they just – still ultimately chemical processes in our brain or it, it is yeah it, he, he, is i he think he wants to go a little further than freud than he wants to say more than they're, they're not just socially uh put upon us so in, in you know by virtue of our social situation so does it come because he wants to say no they are we are actually wired yeah that we're wired for something here um and he he connects it he does connect it with sort of evolutionary kind of um uh you know um a sort of distaste for things that are dead and and you know and yeah. things to do with health and yeah. and he he sort of connects it with that but he also wants to say that it's connected with that um but that's but he wants to validate a validate a holistic view as well mm-hmm. that it's not just a physical it's not just that mm-hmm. that we're they're actually we are wired for something else. So, um, perhaps, yeah. perhaps one of the things around the meaning what you were saying before, Connell, about <clears throat> you know what is the real meaning. I think for a lot of people who aren't, you know, who don't have a fairly strong vertical axis or any kind of vertical axis, this concept of the progress of society. You know, we're doing better, and so the yeah. whole meaning of everything is that I contribute my bit to make yeah. society better yeah. by the time I leave and the next lot that's come right. along, and we're just constantly. So life becomes make... more pleasurable Correct. and less painful, exactly and, right. and yeah, and that's that, that's us moving along the horizontal, yeah, axis. the horizontal okay. axis, and we're, and in, individually, most people live their lives to avoid pain and and, yep. and, and acquire pleasure. You know. Um, but those lives, as we know, um, people that have access to all the pleasures in the world uh, can end up the emptiest people of all. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, and, and this is what Jonathan Haidt recognizes that actually this does not actually satisfy the deepest elements, uh, our deepest needs, because w- we actually require meaning. And uh, and this, of course, is the insight. Was the great insight of of and Stu, you were saying you've been, uh, you know, reading Viktor Frankl's work. Yeah. And and Vic, Viktor Frankl, uh, you know, very famous uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, and and uh, he Holocaust survivor, a Holocaust survivor as well. And um, he his contribution really is to show how. Um, how deeply human beings, even for their very survival, actually need meaning. Mm. Again, we're wired for a need for meaning. So, his the very famous book uh, of his that is it's a short book and it's one of the, it's one of the best reads. I recommend. I do recommend this uh, this book um, uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. He's a Jew. He's he's a uh, a Jew and 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 I and I believe. Uh, 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 some kind of believing, uh, believing Jew. Mm. Um, he he picked up from his observations in the camps that it actually all things being equal, and the, you know, because there was obviously the element of just ran- people being randomly, yeah. randomly killed in that in that terrible, terrible you know context, and, and you know, and and the you know describes the terrible just senselessness of of what they went through, and and that actually drove people to despair. That's mm. and and actually it, you know suicide was quite a common. Uh, you know, common thing in those times. And, and a lot of people just gave up, you know, it was, he saw that constantly. He said, actually the people that tended to survive were the people, those that found some sense of meaning in the midst of that circumstance. So he talks about people, you know, there were people that, because they, they, you know, living on, you know, kind of crust, Mm. Uh, it's such meager, meager rations. And he talks about, you know, there'd be people that just going crazy from, from hunger and, 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 he talks about these people that would walk up to them, put their last little, their whole ration and put it before them on the table. Here, mate, you have this, mm. you know. And he observes that it was actually it was actually the givers, not the receivers. All things being equal, it was the givers, not the receivers, who tended to be the survivors. Mm. Because they found 
they found this sense of meaning. And, and actually, Viktor Frankl himself made the decision. He had the opportunity to move to a camp that was a much going to be much more comfortable. I mean, you know, everything's relative, but it was going to be better than Auschwitz. He was in Auschwitz. And he chose to stay mm. because he, he was working as a doctor in, in uh, you know, looking after the inmates. He chose to stay there to do that. Uh, and and he says that, that that sense of purpose that he found, mm-hmm. that sense of meaning, was really the key to his uh, to his survival. We we are we we are intuitively innately built with a sense that there is mm. a meaning. There is this other dimension, yeah. uh, and meaning is is actually got a lot. To, you know, our our purpose in life has got a lot to do with that elevation trajectory, mm-hmm. to bring out the glory, the sublime. In everything, you know, yeah. it's it's to cultivate the sacred. Gen- you know, Genesis, you know, one and two depict human beings as being like the gardeners in a sacred garden, uh, and, and in, in fact, it's almost like temple language that's being used there. Uh, that they are like the priests in in this in this mm-hmm. beautiful garden, and their role is to bring out and and cultivate yeah. what is beautiful and sacred and sublime, yeah. because we were created to reflect the image and the glory of God. That's yeah. a sacred, sacred purpose right there. Yeah. So really, the it's almost like our orientation is a bit um, distorted because I think by default we live on that horizontal axis. You know, mm. certainly within our culture anyway, yeah. we're brought up in yeah. that. And so when we view everything f- from that single axis, uh, we, we, we do look at it as either the pursuit of pleasure and avoiding pain yeah. as the motivator. Um, but what we're, I guess we're not saying is that everything on that single axis is purposeless or invalid or not worth pursuing but if you were actually able to get up higher on the vertical axis and view it from that perspective, so if yeah. you if you could view the world and life and things that are created around us without the advantage of that vertical axis and getting up higher and experiencing it from that sense of you know getting out of that and looking down at it, then it's like we can actually start to enjoy the things that yeah. We're meant to enjoy here in this life that aren't necessarily, I guess they're sacred anyway, because God put them Mm. here. They're there for us to enjoy. But without the benefit of standing from that position, we actually bring them down to just something that gives me pleasure. Mm. So I I, I, I see things in this world that give me pleasure and I pursue them and that's it. Those things in themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but they're unfulfilling because I'm not viewing it from yeah, that that's right. higher because there's this it. other there's this other dimension so mm. it, you know in a sense uh on that on the double axis everything every all the pleasures of life and 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 God did create a beautiful world for us to enjoy but they have this what what I might what I would perhaps call a sacramental quality to it and by, by that I mean they're like they're gifts in a relational interchange but when you yeah. take the relational interchange yeah it's it's like you know if you if you uh, uh, came in here with well actually you did come in here with a gift you came and you brought me a coffee and Got that me. was a very kind thing to do right and it's kind p- partly because it's thoughtful and so it becomes so your gift isn't just about the fact that I really I actually really did feel like a coffee this morning and uh, but the fact that you were thoughtful and you you brought that actually there's some there's another significance to that it's a it's it's it's, it's a relational the thing itself isn't takes a new significance yes. because it's something that takes on meaning within a yeah. relational interchange. So so the pleasures of, of life, you know, are still um you know, still valid, but yeah. they take on this whole extra significance. Mm-hmm. But this is Frankel's point is that so can pain. I was just gonna say, yeah. So even from the same elevation, mm-hmm. you can look on pain. Mm-hmm. And in one of his quotes, and I haven't got it exactly mm-hmm. right, is is as is a strong enough why will counter anyhow. In other yeah. words, if your if your meaning, if your purpose, you, you can deal with any pain because you know the vertical, yeah. the purpose of it all. Yeah. Um and, and just sorry, just coming back to your yeah. point before around around the um uh, you know, traveling along the the pleasure kind of, I think if you take out the the sense of sacred at the top, then it becomes entitlement rather than sacra- sacramental. Yeah. In other words, it's like I'm entitled to this yeah, rather than right. it being a gift. Yeah, you know, I'm entitled to have this coffee because yeah. that's what life's all about. You bringing me the coffee, as yeah. opposed to recognizing the gift that the sacramental yeah. value of it. Anyway, yeah, so. that's right. There's 
I mean, we'll talk in 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 the next episode. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll talk about um, uh, a lot of elements of of experience. Uh, you know, we'll plot elements of experience because there is actually there is actually a really strong connection between what is pleasurable in the most sublime sense for us. The pleasure in the sacred is a connection with that, and mm. um, but pleasure can also go wrong. Uh, you know, and and, and so. So we'll talk about some elements of human experience actually on this uh, on this trajectory on this double axis. Um, just another another interesting. Uh, I, I keep footnoting, and it's just okay. just academic habit. Um, uh, th- there's a, a, a quite a well known book by um, a American uh, philosopher um, Machaya Eliada. Um, called the sacred and the profane and he surveys a lot of mainly main, mainly what we in our culture unfortunately refer to as primitive um mm. religious behavior you know amongst people and and you know i, I think it's in, in some ways um uh it, it it shows if anything this innate um religiosity of human beings that we have this innately and he you know he really explores this and he shows these amazing con- common elements in this very this base level kind of intuitive spirituality in, in all of these different uh, different cultures and he laments the fact that we have moved beyond this basic intuition and we've called it progress and he, he describes it as a kind of a fall actually uh, that we've lost this this whole dimension uh, of the sacred and the profane again, because we didn't like the experience of, you know, of, of the profane, so we just got rid of the whole thing. Yet again, another scholarly voice saying to our culture, uh, "Guy, uh, hang on, everyone, we've actually lost something here, and let's not call it. Pro- can we not call this progress? Right? Because, because this is, oh yeah, we've moved beyond all of that, all of that primitive stuff. We do this really patronising, and it's interesting in our, in our." I mean, we're all about the sort of post-colonial, you know, let, let's not, let's not, um, you know, invalidate all different cultures and, and but, you know, well, okay, yes, let's not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because actually every other culture that's ever existed has, has had this strong sensitivity to the sacred and the profane. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and yet, um, in our culture today, you know, we, we virtually you know, punish people for, for showing any sensitivity or concern about, uh, you know, about that vertical vertical trajectory and the fact that, no, no, actually, um, th- there is this other element. There is a purpose. If something is sacred, it, it, it isn't anything goes, doesn't work on that. And, mm-hmm. and yet that's kind of offensive in, mm-hmm. in our – it's become offensive because, no, we hold sacred on that single axis – Autonomy. I decide what's right. I. Yeah. That's single axis thinking. Yeah. You, you don't have that. You know that luxury. And 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 no one in any of these other cultures felt that they had the prerogative. Yeah. You know, as you were saying before, Colin. That, you know, that no one felt that they had the prerogative to decide what's sacred. It's it's yeah. a contradiction. Well, we're so used to us determining what's right and reasonable and fair yeah. and just. And I think the true sacredness. <clears throat> is what's decided by God and it, it will be something it will rub against us because yeah. we'll we because we're so used to operating from that yeah. vantage point that, with that sense of entitlement I suppose even that we've got yeah. from living on the single axis where we get to challenge those things mm. and even decide what's sacred and what's profane and all yeah. those sorts of things yeah. and we don't like it when God says this is I'm declaring this sacred. Yeah. And he doesn't need our permission. He doesn't need, he doesn't need our buy-in. It's a declaration that he, whatever, yeah. you know, he makes it sacred. It's sacred because God yeah, says yeah. it's sacred. Absolutely. That's it. End of story. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so whether it makes sense to you is irrelevant. Yeah. It makes sense to God. Yeah. Well, that, well, it's, it's connected. It. It's connected with God's character and God's purpose. Yeah. You know, and and if something has a particular purpose, you know, it's it's set apart uh, for yeah. that purpose. I think we'll there, there, there are a lot of things to explore here, and, and and again, if I can just anticipate where where I think some of the amazing things that that we can where we'll go with this, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk a bit about like there are a number of elements of human experience that are profoundly validated, actually. Mm-hmm. 
when you add this when you add this access and and that really can't be made sense of yeah. and so we'll talk about some of those experiences this is you know this is where any talk about sexuality and some of the biblical boundaries about sexuality it's not just about spoiling all the fun and being puritanical and and um uh, that that only makes sense on this double mm-hmm. axis so there's something to talk about there um and and how this framework actually changes the way that we think and and it's worth spending some time on this topic because i really do think that even a lot of christians today live their lives on that horizontal mm-hmm. yeah. on that horizontal axis and and god's job is to help me get along you know get away from pleasure get yeah. away from pain and, and towards pleasure yeah. that's sort of god's role is to is is to help me along that horizontal line now actually god's prerogative is to elevate you up the yeah. Uh, you know, not just help you along the horizontal line, but elevate you up that vertical. And yes, God, uh, but, and, and the profound thing is that God can, uh, sanctify, profoundly sanctify experiences of pleasure and pain. And this is, you know, and we can, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this, but this is life changing. This is potentially life changing yeah. stuff. And I know it might sound academic, but I think if we, if we can embrace this and think about ways, how can I become more sensitive? Yeah. And invariably the way, if I can suggest this, is to allow yourself to experience what's at the bottom end of that. Yeah. Uh, because it was to set us free from the bottom end of that vertical axis, the experience of sh- guilt and shame and sense of defilement. That is why Jesus, God cares. He doesn't want us mm-hmm. to to, to stay there, but the solution isn't to get rid of the, you yeah. know, just repress the experience, repress the whole experience. Mm-hmm. It is actually to find that forgiveness and freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. And this is where I think the Christian message is just so, so powerful because God through Christ unlocks us from that mm-hmm. and begin and, and elevates us, makes us holy and lifts us up to a higher place. And, and, and that's what, you know, that's what our journey is all about. We're going to explore that more. Connell, Matt, great conversation. We'll uh, look forward to picking this up next time. Thanks for joining us for Perspectives. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.